Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Watford Buzz Podcast, the show where we talk exclusively about Watford FC. My name is Matt Messiano and joining me today is football analyst Jordan Weimer and football journalist Tom Burrell. Uh, another win, perhaps not as convincing in the second half as the first half, but uh, Forrest never really looked like troubling Daniel Backman's goal. Uh, Tom, what was your assessment of yesterday? Yeah, it was over 90 minutes. I don't think you could argue that Watford deserved to win. The, the disallowed goal and, and Guyton Bong had a header that sort of flashed wide of the post. There was the, the shot that was deflected over by Will Hughes, wasn't there? But apart from that, they didn't offer a, a huge amount, even though I think unquestionably for most of the second half, they were probably the more dominant team in, in terms of territory and in, in terms of ball possession. Sky flashed up that graphic, didn't they, a couple of times that said, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of minuscule percentage of the play had been in, in Forest third at that stage. But I thought on the basis of the first half, where they, they just didn't lay a glove on us, um, and and their lack of real actual clear cut chances, you couldn't you couldn't argue with the result. It's job done in in quite trying circumstances, I suppose. With you know the the, the lack of central midfielders, slightly different shape, different personnel, and so on. And um, yeah, just pleasing and, and pleasing to find a, another way to win, I suppose. With with Messina popping up with the goal, so a good afternoon's work, and uh, you know things immediately look up after back-to-back wins and, and Chalabal will be back, obviously, um, for, for Cardiff. Jordan, is that one of the best first halves that we've that we've had uh, this season for Watford? Yeah, I was going to say, actually, it's probably a little bit contrast to a lot of our other results in, over the course of the season where we started quite slow and we kind of find a way into the game, I think, after the first few minutes. It kind of seemed like it, it could have been a game we run away with. I thought we were so dominant in those early, early phases and we were causing Forrest all sorts of trouble, especially down that right-hand side. Um, and yeah, the, the, the makeshift midfield looked quite good. There was a lot of movement between the forward players and the midfield. And we looked like we had a lot of uh, different avenues of attack. And I thought Forrest really struggled to kind of pick that up in the first in the first half, especially. Uh, it felt like kind of one we, we kind of tailed off as the game went on and kind of that intensity dropped. And we didn't look quite as dangerous as, as, as the match went on. But that first half and especially that first 20 minutes or so, I thought we were we were really, really good. Yeah, that second half though, is, is it worrying? Because against maybe better teams... Watford probably would have ended up losing that game because the second half performance just wasn't really up to, up to scratch and, you know, a better team. I mean, you see Forrest almost almost got the equaliser, didn't they? It was offside mm-hmm. in the end, but, um, you know, it could have been a loss that game. It, it's a dangerous game to play. I, I think it's it's a risky, a risky kind of way to kind of, a way to play on the pitch where you're never really quite in control. But I think the players feel they're quite confident in that position. I think you should never be obviously that that confident when it's a one goal margin because you can see how quickly it changes. But I do think the play I think do think the players on the pitch kind of take that bit of a foot off the gas and, and step off a little bit, especially with the congestion of fixtures and there's a bit of fatigue in there. And I think maybe they trust themselves to kind of see out that game and, and, and be in control, even if from our position it maybe looks like we're not quite as in control as we'd like to be. I think in a different situation, we wouldn't let our levels drop. But I think that's just that's just part of football. I think that happens. Uh, it's kind of up to Shisco to make sure that the levels stay the same if that's what we want. But in terms of yesterday, I thought I thought we were comfortable for the majority. Obviously, the the potential equaliser was given offside. That that was a close call. But I, I think for the most part, we we were in quite a stable situation. The the, the second forty five just wasn't anywhere near as 
as good in terms of the, the tempo and the, the application from the players, but I wouldn't say it's a long-term concern. I think we've been in this situation a few times this season where the second half kind of tails off, but then you go into the next game, we kind of start again with the same the same level of intensity and we can continue that if needed. Right up until the, the start of the game, Jordan, we uh, we were wondering what the formation was going to be because there was sort of the chance that we could go back to the 4-4-2 given that the personnel we had were probably the the starters we would like for a 4-3-3 but he kept with the 4-3-3 uh, I take it you're, you, were, you were pretty pleased about that I was pleased I was a bit surprised actually I, I, I know we said in the previous uh, podcast that ideally we'd like to kind of stay in that 4-3-3 even if it meant switching a lot of stuff around and, and trying to kind of you know put a few square pegs and round holes and, and just try and go on with it that way rather than switching back to that 4-4-2 where it might kind of accommodate that lack of midfielders a little bit a little bit easier but yeah I was pleased I thought we did a good job of uh, of compensating um, it helped that it was a game we had a lot of the ball I think if there was any real worry with our midfield it's probably going to be off the ball but I mean as we saw with Jao Pedro kind of dropping a little bit deeper and Zinconagel was in that kind of that little bit more advanced forward midfield position as well I thought we looked quite good. Um, I thought we controlled the ball really nicely. I thought Will Hughes was excellent. Again, he kind of did all the stuff we expected of him and breaking up the opposition play when when they did get into our half. He was always there to kind of make it much more difficult, win that ball back. And then once he has it, he can recycle it. And if you can get the ball forward into the likes of Jao Pedro, Zinconegel, Sema, Saar, it, it looks, you know, it is, it's a huge difference and it gives you that threat. So I thought we did a good job. Um, it's not something I'd want to see every game, uh, as fun as it could be. I think that there wasn't the, quite the balance there and I think maybe we got away a little bit with the fact that we were playing a team that didn't really manage to impose themselves on that midfield as much. Um, but as a whole, I thought as a collective, it was a, a pretty good display considering. Yeah, Tom, before the game, we were wondering who would make up that midfield uh, if it was going to be a 4-3-3 and we considered previously in our, in our last pod the, the likes of Firmenir and, and maybe Wilmot coming into it but no one actually mentioned Pedro though. Did, did, did it work for you, Tom? <laughs> yeah, it did. I was stunned and I was saying to you guys prior to recording that when you text us in our WhatsApp group, Matt, and said, oh, Sky have got Xiao um, Pedro in, in midfield, I thought, what? But I thought, you know, they quite often, they get a little steer or they speak to the coaches or whatever. And, you know, they're very rarely wrong. And and and, and lo and behold, it, so it proved. I thought he did well. You know, we know from watching him this season, he's got that little bit of tenacity about him. You know, he's not certainly increasingly over the course of the season. I think he's got stronger and wiser to the physical aspects of the game. So he never had too many fears about him being bullied. I think... My only slight criticism of him uh, was that sometimes maybe he held on to the ball, held on to the ball too long. Was, you know, maybe doing things in areas that we would like not to see uh, in in terms of potentially giving the ball up cheaply in a, in, a, in a dangerous position for a turnover. But yeah, I thought I thought overall he did well, and you know the certainly the early part of the game in the first half, you know, it was quite fluid as well, wasn't it? You know, a lot of times you saw Zinkenagel going. Uh, kind of beyond Ken Semmer and, and, and getting wide on the left and, and Ken would drop in and you saw Pedro Jordan right said coming quite deep but you know equally he would go and, and join up with the attack at times as well it given you know they've probably had a week to sort of well, less than a week haven't they since I suppose the the midweek win over Wickham to cobble this together it looked fairly good I would say though I'd echo Jordan's point and say probably quite fortunate that it came against Forest and, and not a, a stronger team but uh, yeah, all things considered, the fears that we had, it it worked quite well. What do you think about it, Jordan? Pedro in midfield? Yeah, I mean, I, I quite liked it. I, th- I think the the real kind of concern, if it was going to be more of an ongoing thing, would be what's the balance kind of next to him. You, you don't want to give him too much responsibility off the ball. And I think we could all, I think if, if someone had told us he was going to play there before the game, I think what we'd kind of expect from him is kind of how it panned out you'd expect him to be good in the ball get into that position know where to to be in those attacking areas maybe not quite as quick at times on the ball as he needs to be but you know he's, he's a good technical footballer I thought he he did a good job all round. I think I think what really did help him was actually how um, how good Zinkenegel was off the ball yesterday too I thought defensively he was very good it helped compensate for that that kind of shift in midfield. I thought if if Zinkenegel was coming in, maybe your worry would be from what we've seen of his sub appearances, does he have the physicality to kind of play that role and and be able to get back and help when he's kind of got more of a defensive responsibility. I think in the previous game he was that number ten most attacking midfielder, but yesterday he he was asked to do a little bit more off the ball, and I thought he did a good job of that. So I think as a whole it worked out quite well. Quite well. Um, I think Pedro definitely filled that role and, and did exactly what he needed to do for us yesterday. 
is it a case of uh, almost similar to, to Zinkenegger in the fact that uh, he's not playing in his best position there being in midfield, but um, he's, he's doing a great job, just like Zinkenegger, his best position is meant to be on the wing, but in midfield, he's doing a great job. You know, players do have the ability to play in more than one position and still do an adequate, adequate performance. Well, I think especially too, when you, you give them you give them a bit of freedom, you give them the license to, to play in a few different areas, it kind of blurs the lines of set positions. So whilst Zinkenegger is predominantly a right winger, if you put him in a in a situation in midfield where he's got the opportunity to kind of replicate some of those some of those movements and, and find his teammates in a similar way, if you let him kind of pop up on that right hand side or drift out to left and, and look to get the ball in the field, then you know, you can you can find ways to play these players. Same with Pedro. Even when he plays as a, as a striker, he likes to he likes to come quite deep. Um, it's, it's not uncommon to see him dropping into that kind of edge of the centre circle midfield area to pick up the ball or play it out wide to the, to the wingers and I thought yesterday he did another good job in doing that and I thought also too I did think that right hand side looked even more dangerous when you had Pedro kind of linking up with Kiko and, and Ismail Asar to kind of create that three that three on the right and made it very difficult for, for Forrest and I think if we're going to be continuing with a few changes in in position or even if you're playing Pedro in that cent- central role, I think him coming short and coming into that area on that right-hand side would be definitely something to try and replicate a little bit more in in more kind of stable formation and, and team situations just to just to try something a little bit different. I thought it was it was very good yesterday and if you can kind of overload one side of the pitch with your quality players, then it creates lots of opportunity, especially when you've still got plenty of uh, ability on the other side and the likes of Semmer and, and Zinkenegel. Andre Gray obviously uh, retained that starting place up top as the leading striker in, in the middle of that three, you know, deservedly after his two goals midweek. All the eyes, I guess, were, were on him today to see how, how he would do. Would he follow it up? This guy even uh, chatted to him before the game and kind of mentioned the fact that he had sort of broken his duck now and, and he said he was happy about it. But um, Tom, how did you find his assessment of yesterday? Find it? Find his assessment of yesterday. Did it did it work for you again? Did he did he uh, prove that he he was right to be retained? Or yeah, I think he did quite a good job for the team. Obviously, the goals grabbed the headlines against Wickham, but I almost thought he did more for the team on the day yesterday than he did maybe in the in the the goal scoring Wickham performance. I, I noted I scribbled down early on um, that I thought he you know, was trying to pin their one of their centre-halves, you know, get his back to goal and, and try and get people playing off him. I thought um, the the little bit of play with Saar um, sort of after 10 minutes or so where he, he kind of, he got the ball off Saar in the first place, didn't he, and tried to break away, fed it back into Saar. You know, he was trying to, you know, almost was a little bit selfless there. He probably could have taken it on another half a yard and, and tried to get a shot off rather than, um, rather than digging out Saar, but what impre- or digging out the pass to Saar, but what impressed me was that immediately after that, you know, there was a real hunger and tenacity and desire to win the ball back when Forrest passed it out loosely. And I just I just thought as an overall sort of proper centre forward display, it was it was quite good. I can't really recall any great chances that fell his way other than uh it's quite late, I think, wasn't it, in the second half where uh put a lovely, lovely little ball across the face of goal. Um and he, and I think uh, um, he could have gambled a bit earlier on that and, and potentially stabbed it home. But otherwise, yeah, I thought overall a good a good performance, a good continuation. It's, it's baby steps the whole way though with him, isn't it? To sort of rehabilitate him as a, a viable first team option. But you know, on the basis of these two games in quick succession, so far so good. Um, yeah, see, I I kind of maybe have a bit of a different opinion on this game for Gray. I, I didn't think he was bad. Um... But I, I do think the difference between that being a 1-0 yesterday and a 3-0 was, was the centre-forward play. And I think when you had such creative players in that team, I thought we kind of really struggled to get Gray involved. I know we had, we had a couple of chances, but I think it, it was kind of a similar performance as a whole to, to the previous match against Wickham. I feel the only real difference in, in terms of his game was the actual scoring of his opportunities, um, his his involvement in the, in the actual the actual play as a whole was was pretty minimal. He only he only had let me just check there. He only had thirteen touches in the in the nine in the timers in the pitch, and ten, he made nine passes as well during that during that phase. Um, 
that he was on the pitch 68 minutes. So I'd like to see him getting a little bit more involved. Um, I know of three of his three of his passes were forward passes, none of them none of them completed. He wasn't kind of he wasn't getting on the ball enough for me. And I think if he had someone that was there and be able to link up play a little bit more and maybe bring those bring those into play, we might have had a little bit more success. Um, I think Tom's right. His tenacity was good. He he was fighting. I think that first that opening 20 minutes or so, we had our best spell of the game. I thought that was definitely Andre Andre Gray's best spell too. Um, but for me, the worry is, are, are we carrying a player in the position that we need a little bit more help from? And we got away with it against Forest. But for me, if he's not scoring goals, if he's not taking chances, then he you do lose something uh, in the position that's obviously quite important to the team's functioning and attack. So I don't think it's a bad performance, but I'm still I'm still waiting for a little bit more from Andre. He missed one big chance, didn't he? That um, personally, I felt given. The, the new sort of found confidence that he had, I was surprised he wasn't able to to meet it because it felt like it was a really good ball that had been delivered into him. Um, and you know, I think he should have scored it. He should, he, should, he should have scored that goal, shouldn't he? Yeah, I think I think I, I know exactly what you mean. I think the thing is, if it was any other player, I think I'd have a little bit more sympathy. Not sympathy. I think I'd. I could I could deal with it a little bit more with Andre Gray. He has to be scoring them chances. I think you have to. I think to to make Andre Gray's value to make Andre Gray's worth in the team worthwhile. Sorry for lack of a better term. You have to have him scoring chances that even ones that you would say is a difficult opportunity for him or he he maybe should score but it's not the easiest I think he has to be scoring them to keep that position in the team he has to be kind of finishing he has to have a conversion rate which is better than others otherwise you're just playing a forward that's not really offering much outside of that and not taking the chances I'm very pleased that he scored against Wickham I thought he had a good game against Wickham but the, the, the real difference was he took those chances if we'd have scored that one at the back post yesterday that ball from Feminier then we're talking about a different story I know that's harsh because it's just one opportunity which has changed in my opinion the difference between the good or a average performance but they're the type of margins we're talking about and with a striker if you're not going to be offering much outside of scoring you have to score goals and I think because of that you have to kind of hold them to a little a little bit of a higher standard when it comes to their conversion because otherwise we're carrying them in my opinion yeah well he wasn't able to score yesterday but someone who was someone who that isn't that familiar with uh, with finding the back of the net for Watford but uh, he found it yesterday Adam Messina uh, a really good strike in the end after some great work from Saar who had Bong's number all day yesterday in fact uh, you know we were saying before the pod started we're surprised that he didn't get two yellow cards Bong because he was certainly hassling uh, Saar all, all all day wasn't he but um great play from Saar uh, and then Messina a really a really calm and and composed finish when you know maybe some people possibly could have I don't know reacted a bit too quickly maybe but um you know he took his time found the right spot and 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 you know nutted the goalkeeper as well and we always like to see that it's one of those where someone who doesn't score very often would be tempted probably to snatch at it and and hit it first time and potentially balloon it into the vicarage road end uh he didn't did he as you say he kind of took a moment to control it and and really hammered it in and I don't I'd love to know what um Bryce Samba was complaining afterwards, wasn't he? Seemingly some sort of injury and sort of flicking, trying to get something out of his eye. I don't know if he was trying to say he was yeah. uh, impinged somehow by something in his eye or what have you. But, you know, it, it kind of just went through everyone, didn't it? And it was it was a very a very decent finish for a left-back. And I suspect it was a not a particularly high-value chance either, given... Uh, the number of players in front of uh, in front between the goal and, and, and Messina, um, and yeah, just you know, nice to find another way to win. Almost, I think you know, it's a bit of a sort of cliche, but there is definitely something for for grinding out wins. Like, well, not grinding out because the first half was very good, but you know, just getting the win by by any means in the end. At this stage, as as much as I think we're reading a lot into performances and holding a lot of stock by performances because of the, the some of the dire displays we've seen this season. It's results that count, isn't it? You know, we we are so close to the kind of the the, the finishing post now that we just need to find a way to get over the line. Mm. Having said that, in terms of the probability of that one, Infogol has that down as a zero point six for XG, which is quite interesting. I feel like that seems a little low to me, but they're, they're valuing it as zero point six for Massinger's shot. And interestingly, Andre Gray's is fifty five percent probability, which I think seems a little bit generous, maybe, but. What Infidel's the back post good, one? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's it. I was looking at the Y Scout one and Messina. They got a 0.25, and they don't recognise the grey one because he didn't make contact with the cross. Is that fair? Mm, I, I can't guess remember. 
Why Scott XG seems a little hit or miss to me, but it just depends on the on the different channels. models if you watch from the, different places, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I just thought it was interesting. I mean, both have Masters as a very low probability, mm. but yeah, interesting. It's been great ever since he, you know, he regained his 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 fitness and got back into the team, and he's hardly put a foot wrong, has he, Jordan? It, he never was there. A, I'm trying to think of one game. He had one game where he he had a shaky performance. Um, I know obviously he he made a mistake um, away at Blackburn where he held up the board a little bit too long and, and didn't quite clear it in time. But I think for the yes. most part he's a, he's a strong player for us. Um, he's a different, very different sort to obviously what we have on the right hand side with Kiko. He's obviously a bigger frame. He's a bigger player. He can kind of tuck in a little bit more and be that be that defensive player inside the box he's got the aerial ability and he, he can be quite strong but I think he does do a decent job of getting forward um, I, I think it's kind of interesting our left hand side is so is quite different to our right hand side in the way it operates as a whole but it, it works well for us and I, I think he's been important to that and obviously having that left back was essential for us kind of progressing we switching around the right back to left back it wasn't really working for us at all so I think him being being back has been a real big help and I, I think he's he's an important player for us and he's, he's someone that we've seen some really good performances uh, from from him over his career with us now. So I think the more the, the more he can get involved in, in kind of forward play, and obviously yesterday scoring a goal is great. And I think it's you know he kind of deserves it. It's good to see because I think his overall application has been very good. And I also think he's quite an important um, important player defensively. When you when you kind of watch him off the ball, he's he's, he's a good communicator, and I think he does a a good job of, of helping that back line and just to keep them organised and, and helping that whole unit in, in midfield as well. Just be that kind of strong defensive have that strong defensive shape that we've seen so I think he does a lot that we kind of maybe don't quite notice but he he's someone that um, definitely value having him available New recruit uh, former Colombian international 35 year old Carlos Sanchez got his first minutes of the season just days after signing he, now, he's had a lot of criticism since the announcement was made um, at least on Twitter he has and I think you know he had a pretty decent game all things considered Tom yeah, considering, you know, he's been training for about a week by the sounds of it, he uh, I thought he came in and, and did well and was probably the the kind of steadying influence at that point that we needed someone to come in and just stiffen up the midfield a little bit at a time when Forrest had, you know, finally got a bit of a handle on things, uh, you know, seemed certainly in the early stages to come in and just keep it simple, used his strength on a few occasions to sort of, you know, muscle people off the ball, shield the ball and so on. I thought, you know, it was pretty solid and steady and and to be honest if if that's all that he's going to bring between now and the end of the season and he's probably not a bad player to have uh you know our expectations of what he's going to bring to the the team in the the final months of the season are probably very different to what West Ham and Villa fans hoped he'd bring when they signed him as a younger player and you know one that, mm-hmm. that cost a transfer fee as well so um, I know I was probably <laughs> among the doom-mongers and, you know, bought what people had said to me on Twitter uh, to the previous pod. But on the evidence of that, and, you know, it wasn't a particularly long outing, I thought he did okay. That's all we need, though, isn't it? We just need him to be okay. Um as you say, I think it's a good point you make. We're not bringing him in with the the same level of expectation as, as you have when you bring in a younger player for a transfer fee. He he just there. He just there to be cover. He, we just need him to do. We need him to be a seven out of ten, six point five out of ten every game. That if he does that, that's enough. And he's not going to be likely starting many games. So if he's coming in, it's most likely going to be with the intention of closing it out. And that's what his strength is. His strength is keeping it simple on the ball, nothing too fancy, and, and being strong in his jewels and helping win that ball back and keep that shape. So if he can do kind of what he's good at, then th- there's no problem. And I think he, he's a he's a tool that we can use in certain situations. And, and yes, there was an example of that. He might have more of an opportunity because of injuries, but in terms of bringing a player in, he's maybe not everyone's first choice. If it was January, completely different situation. But where we are now, w- in terms of what's available, I, th- I think he's absolutely fine. Uh, a word on Will Hughes as well. You um, you know, got the captaincy for the first time uh, from the start this season, and um, you know, I think he's a, a very good sort of mould of a captain, really, isn't he? He, uh, f- from what we hear, he likes to shout and, and tell everyone, uh, you know, on the pitch where they should be and what they should be doing, and um, you know, it's not a bad choice for captain. I think he's quite a good choice in so much as. He's been there for a few seasons now and, he, you know, he evidently cares. We we heard that little kind of comment, sort of a bit of a throwaway thing from Filippo Giraldi, wasn't it, in the interview with Adam Leventhal that, you know, he saw how much it kind of hurt Hughes 
to to get relegated last season in the changing room, and you know even Giraldi sort of tipped him up as a a future captain. But you know he's he's obviously at Watford more than a lot of clubs. You get I think there's a lot of players that are sort of transient that come and go, aren't here for very long. But he's been here for a while. He you know we paid a fee for him. We're evidently bought into him, and he for someone with his reputation evidently trusted Watford to be the club to you know improve him. And develop him so I think there's a you know a bit of a kind of buy-in from both parties there and you know without being sort of morbid about morbid's not the right word but it's the best word I can think of in this instance we are looking for a new captain long term because Troy Deeney his contract is up at the end of this season now he might be here next season but you know his influence on the squad is is huge and there's going to be a, a personality and leadership void when he does eventually move on one way or another. So, you know, we need someone that's going to step up and be that character. And we've obviously had Tom Cleverley lead the team a lot this season. We're going to be without him for a few weeks, evidently as well now. So it's, it's a big, big responsibility. And he is someone who has played a lot of championship football in his career and a lot of football in England or, you know, his entire career in, in England. Um, I think he's, he's got a really, really big role to play. So it's probably quite a nice little audition for, for him to get the job in the in the long run. Well, you've brought up the uh, the subject of contracts there. And um, Jordan, I know you've done a bit of work on this. So do you want to sort of take the reins for a second here and, and, and lead us into that? Yeah, I'll just, just, you know, looking through what players we have and in terms of contracts expiring in the near future. And just based on, on kind of what we can find looking around and kind of using transfer market as a main kind of source of information here for, for contract lens. There are a few a few players that are kind of coming towards the end of their contract, some running out in June 2021 and others in, in 2022. Obviously, the ones that are ending at 2021 are the immediate concerns, but then at the same time, those that run out the year after are kind of ones that we have to be thinking about either tying down to a longer deal in the short term or in the, in the near future or being prepared to let go. And this is the, this summer is a time to kind of cash in on those guys. So just looking through the 2021s, um, obviously Rob Elliott, he came in as a short-term deal, so that's not unexpected. Um, then you've also got the likes of Lazar, similar situation. but Sanchez, I suppose, would probably be in that. Well, I, yeah. I haven't seen his contract left, but I imagine it's yeah. to the end of this season, isn't it? It's to the end of the season too. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Um, and then you've got the likes of Kiko Femenia, uh, which obviously is one we'd definitely like to tie down. I know he's towards that that 30 age. He's 30 years old, so he's kind of pushing on a little bit and you maybe not going to tie him down to a, a massive long-term deal, but he, he's one that we want to extend definitely, um, regardless of what, what, what division we're in. Um, also, you've got listed down on transfer markets, Christian Cabaselli, but we were discussing before the podcast, there was a lot of talk that he'd signed a new deal uh, during uh, during last season, a new three-year deal, which well, I don't think it was officially announced by the club, but there were lots of news outlets saying that that was done. So that's a bit, one we're a little bit unsure on. Um, but in, in terms of just, just assuming that it does run out in 2021, I think that's obviously something we'd want to reassess come the end of the season because he, he could be an important player for us, again, depending on what division you're in maybe, but he, he's someone that's been around the club and you might feel quite good on extending that if it's not already done. Um, and then obviously you've got the likes of Troy Deeney too, who we believe the club have that opportunity to extend if they want to, but his current deal ends in 2021. So that will be obviously an interesting one to see as the as the season draws to a close, especially when he's been out with injury and we're not sure how much he'll be able to contribute for the rest of the season. I think just generally it's worth saying it's probably the one time in recent history where it's not a massive panic to get these done because with... Uh, the you know the state of the transfer market as as it is with you know clubs obviously suffering from the the financial ramifications of the pandemic you know I d- I doubt the clubs are in positions to be making and this is obviously not just Watford but every club is in the position where they're probably not able to make big decisions on you know budgets and 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 cut and so on for next season without knowing the state of play, you know, what division they're going to be in, our supporters going to be back, how full can stadiums be, are we going to be able to increase ticket prices, are we going to have the same level of revenue from match day, are we going to have the same level of TV revenue, do you know what I mean, all these factors, so normally at this stage you go, oh my God, we've got so many sort of senior players out of contracts in a few months and obviously, you know, those guys can be, you know, approached and agree deals with uh, non-UK clubs um, or non-English clubs, I think it is even, isn't it? You could go to Scotland, you could agree a deal. Um, but I suspect it's not the the cause for panic in the corridors of power that it might 
ordinarily be. That said, I know some of the names you're going to come on to, and this is a seamless link, probably are cause for a panic because they're out of contract in 12 months' time and they are guys that you would want to be mainstays going forward. Just before we get into that, can we quickly uh, brief uh, people who aren't perhaps that familiar with what it all means, the fact that uh, there's 12 months left or there's six months left, what do the variables mean? What can different players do in these situations? Uh, you know, can we explain that a little bit? The, the main thing you, you're talking about there, if you have six months left in your contract, you're free to negotiate with other clubs without having to, to without the other club having to go through your current your current owner, your current club. So, for example, Kiko Femenia, if he has six months left in his contract, then teams are able to, to contact him and his representatives and they can agree a deal uh, to, to go to a different club come the summertime. So that's obviously one of the reasons you want to avoid uh, letting a player kind of get to that point of his contract because then you're going to definitely lose him without a fee. That's actually how we signed Kiko Femenia uh, from Alaves was he had six months left in his contract and we negotiated with him and his agent th- uh, six months prior to him, his deal expiring and then he joined us in the summer and you know it's, it's, it's something that we have to be careful of and as Tom's touching on there it, with the financial situation and, and we don't know when it's going to change exactly, clubs are really looking to, to find value in their deals and, and going down that route is definitely something that that would be of interest to teams. Um, so that's, I'm assuming, what you're getting out there with the six months predominantly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so anything longer than that, then yes, they have to go through the club to to facilitate any sort of deal. Um, and then... And is it over 23 you have to be for that to be applicable? Otherwise, it's compensation, is that right? That's I'm correct. Then you 23 comp- or 24, yeah. I believe it's 23, and then you have, yeah, the compensation issue, which is... Um, which is something similar. I believe, did, did we face that with Domingos Cleaner or was that just a fee we paid? I can't recall now. Paid a fee, didn't we? I think yeah. Harry Forrester was probably one of the last really high profile ones of ours that got nicked. So is this an effort that Watford try to exploit quite heavily then? The fact that sometimes players can be in the last six months of their of their deals and um, and we're, we're going into to tout them basically. Yeah, I think, I think any I think. any club should be keeping an eye on those contract situations around players are interested in because it gives you that extra value. So I think it's something that definitely should be monitored. Um, I do think I do think in general the market is going towards players kind of moving into that free agency market more often. I think we're going to see less and less of the the mid Premier League or, or just mid table, top end table of the table clubs that are kind of tying their good players down to long deals. I think as time goes on, that's becoming far less beneficial to the player and I think we're going to start seeing players signing these initial deals and, and not extending their contracts in order to get a move um, I think transfer fees will, be, will become less common for the big players as time goes on um, the likes of Wilfred Zaha for example that sign a big contract hoping that uh, that will you know, help his team out, help Crystal Palace out. But when a move will come through, Palace are going to be likely to sell. But with the money spread around the way it is, especially in the Premier League, there's less of a financial incentive now for these players to, to for these clubs to sell these big players. Um, and the, you know, the the value that the the club place on those individuals is often significantly more than what the buying club are willing to spend. We've had our own, you know, we've been in that situation ourselves with Troy Deeney when Leicester were interested for a high fee, but we weren't willing to sell because to us he was worth more than that at the time so I think players would generally be kind of looking towards that that free agency situation to avoid them sort of issues and if they are doing so then that kind of six month window is a really good really good place to operate in uh, and that's something we should be definitely monitoring um, as time goes on uh, even even uh, Philip Zinkenegel coming over is, is a similar situation to that too mm. um, brought, brought in on, in a the situation where he's coming to the end of his contract, and we were able to bring him over, and you know, there's no there's no fee involved really, which is uh, well, there's no fee apart from you know his agent fee and his his contract, which is ideal for someone that brings the value that he does. I think just as well to add on the contract side of things, Watford historically have been under the Pozzos at least. It's very rare we let a senior first team player's contract run down and then them become a free agent. You know, apart from some notable exceptions, obviously Julio Gomez with retirement, for example, and, you know, really old guys like that. Uh, Miguel Britos, who wanted to go back to, to Uruguay. But, you know, I think back to like when Etienne Capu wasn't even necessarily a, a first team regular or certainly 
wasn't the player that he became for us. They gave him a three or four year contract and he was about 29 at that stage and it kind of raised a few eyebrows. And the the, the benefits of that are twofold. One, to protect from this happening and, and maintain the value of the asset, but also you can you know you can amortize the the cost of that uh that salary over a longer period of time so from an accounting point of view it becomes you know less intensive and obviously in the current circumstances that is probably attractive to clubs but i suspect dishing out three four five year contracts just for that accounting benefit isn't um you know sensible given we don't know what's around the corner so it's a very interesting time in kind of transfer market uh history it's interesting, isn't it? You, you can you can make so many shrewd decisions to um, you know to to re- recoup as much money as possible and make sure that you're you know you're doing all your business, and then you can make one huge mistake, like for example the signing of Andre Gray on such massive wages for such a long period of time that kind of negates some of the amazing work that you do with other players. It's extremely difficult. And that's that's the you know the trick of recruiting. You have to try and find that value. Uh, sometimes you've got to take a gamble. I think this is the difficult this is the difficulty when you kind of have to make that next step. I think clubs like Brentford have done a very good job of operating in the in the championship and finding ways to to get players in at, at good value and raising that value and selling them on. The difficulty comes when you kind of get to a situation where you're progressing as a club and you kind of have to take that next step and and sometimes you have to buy uh, you have to buy players at a more more of a premium and that can be very risky and obviously someone like Andre Gray it didn't work out. Um, you look at clubs. I think when we got promoted, we kind of went with the with the idea of finding value in in veteran players that kind of came at that lower fee that we felt were, were comfortable in their experience and they'd, they'd be able to have an impact right away. You kind of contrast that maybe to someone, uh, a club like Bournemouth, for example, that spent a lot of big fees on players that were, they were hopeful about but never never panned out. They lost a lot of money on some on some on some players that just didn't really end up playing enough minutes for them or, or contributing. So I think we did a good job in the in the Premier League of allocating those funds and hitting most of our targets. A lot of the ones that didn't come off. For the most part, were very low risk for us. The likes of, you know, the Ababo loans, the Diamantes, they weren't they weren't huge huge issues. I think Andre Gray is the one they would definitely point to. And then actually that leads us into the the next part of uh, the contract discussion in terms of the 2022 contracts expiring. And Andre Gray is the first one we can talk about there, uh, set to expire June 30th, 2022. Don't feel there's any real likelihood that we'll be looking to extend any any deal with Gray. He'll be 31 by then, I believe. And uh, yeah, it's, it's another summer that we're going to deal with now. We're kind of working out what's going to happen with Andre. Is there going to be a club that's willing to, to come in with a fee and then try and bring him on? Uh, or is he going to be kind of content to sit on that contract, which he's not likely to get a better one um, in, in well for the rest of his career now? It depends what sort of mentality he is, doesn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, it, there are certain players who want to try and be the best they can be and have a legacy and point to something and say, I did that with my career. And then there are other people who will be like, well, I am providing very well with my family. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do when my career's over and that's coming up. I'm just going to sit here and get as much as I can whilst I can and then think about whatever comes next when it comes next. And, you know, I don't I don't think either of those approaches is wrong necessarily because I'm thinking about myself. If I was earning really big wages, I'd have to consider, you know, staying staying put. At the same time, I'm also a competitive person and I I think I'd want to try and, you know, put a, a marker down and say, you know, I, I, I did something with my career, but, you know, it's hard to give up that money. And, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't um, begrudge the decision that he's, that he's potentially got to make, you know, in the transfer window. But what, what do you think, guys? I think the thing with Andre Gray is, uh, you know, Watford look at that as a, so as an asset that they paid eighteen and a half million pounds for, that's just the transfer fee. Throw in the agents' fees, the signing on fees, any other clauses, etc. We don't know the contract, the salary. You know everything. The, the the all in cost of that is so much that you know they're not going to want him to walk for nothing. So they'll keep him, but that therefore he kind of sits around here, doesn't he? You know, not doing as well, maybe not playing as much. And then you almost, you know, you end up with almost like a Meza Ozil situation, I think, where you have, you know, everybody knows it's a pretty unhappy union, but no one can afford to take that player off your hands or you don't want to let them go 
without recouping something. And I almost wonder if it gets to the stage next year where Watford, you know, with six months to go or whatever, you know, pay him off a percentage of that just to, to you know, they make a small saving by getting him off the books. And it means that someone that otherwise wouldn't have been able to afford a transfer fee for him for, takes him away because, you know, it, he's he's sort of in golden handcuffs here almost, isn't he? It's, um, look, I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to paint him out to be unfortunate, but, you know, he is he is very much bound by the, the contract and, and Watford wanting to maximise their return on the investment, which at this stage looks very difficult. But that's our mistake too, isn't it? We're, we're the ones that paid that fee. We gave him the contract we 100%. gave him and you know we have to take take the account, be accountable for that and we should take the blame because we we misassessed. And I, I think it's it's quite a surprising misassessment. Mm. Um, I don't think Andre Gray was an unknown quantity when we when we signed him. So it's kind of a it's the it's probably the least Watford transfer that there's been in terms of under the under the Pozzo reign. It's the least of common. Is what you you wouldn't expect it from what that's what I'm trying to say in terms of going for that kind of English player domestic uh, from a from a Premier League club and, and playing that kind of fee. It's a strange one and it, it didn't work out. And I, I'm I'm sure that that's kind of playing into the playing into the mind of, of Gino and, and how we kind of operate in the future. I don't think we'll be looking to make the same sort of deal again. But in in terms of what happens with Andre Gray, I mean, I, yeah, I think you're right there, Matt, in your assessment too. You can't really begrudge his decision either way because as as I just said, we offered him that contract and he you know, he signed it and that's he deserves it because that that's what we gave to him. So he has to kind of decide what he wants to do. But I, I do think it's one that's it's gonna to come to a head a bit in the summer and, and we have to try and find a way to probably move on from him and we'll see what happens. Um but then continuing now in, in terms of twenty twenty two, um again another one which is kind of unsure because there was talk of an extension uh, is Tom Cleverly. I believe he did extend that contract, but right now he's listed down at twenty twenty two, so we'll have to kind of wait and see on that one. But I think either way it wouldn't be a surprise to see that contract extended if it hasn't been already. Um and then kind of moving forward again, Nathaniel Chalaber, uh June twenty twenty two, which is a bit of an interesting one because there was some interesting in, interest in him in January from Leicester. So mm. if you're if you're the club now you might be thinking you you might want to extend that deal, but if you've got a year left when it, when we get to the summer, we've got a little bit of room to kind of play around and, and see what interest there is and try and gauge that because that might be a player that you can make a decent fee off if there is still some interest from Leicester. But it's unclear whether that was kind of a a short term fix for them, and now they've got like more they've got more time to plan. They they might look in a different direction, but twenty twenty two might be one you're thinking about looking to resign should you have the opportunity. Really, just kind of establishing what your what your squad makeup is going to be, and then the real big one for us now is uh, Will Hughes. That's that's the kind of the one we're looking at now as as something we need to kind of get resolved as soon as possible, really, because twenty twenty two will come around quick, and when we get to the summertime, if we're looking to cash in on him, it's going to be then. Uh, so I think if we want to, if we're serious about him being captain or kind of being in being involved in the, in the team long term then that's one we have to get resolved but it's unclear to me whether Will Hughes and his, his representatives will be willing to discuss any sort of future contract before this season resolves and they can have a clear picture of, of what he's going to be playing for uh, over the next few years yeah I mean if you're Will Hughes you're not going to sign that contract until you know if Watford are in the Premier League or not I mean but I, I don't think necessarily he wouldn't sign it if we're in the championship even it's just a case of it's only really <laughs> For example, if if he gets promoted, if we get promoted, the contract, let's just say he's going to stay at Watford either way. The contract he gets in the summer varies massively depending on whether you're in the Premier League or the Championship. If you're signing a new contract as a Premier League player, even if he went down the first season, you're still going to want to sign that Premier League contract. If you're in the Championship, then... You know you're gonna you're gonna have a little bit of reduced salary, even if we're putting more assets towards Will Hughes and lots of other players. It's still not gonna be the same. And I, I think, as, you, as you're saying, there's no real benefit to Will Hughes himself to sign that contract before the uh, before our fate is decided. Really, is there? What do you think he's on? Mid thirties? Uh, I'd say I'd say a little bit more than that. If we signed him in the Premier League. I'd say if he, I'd imagine he's got a decent bonus in there. So I think all things considered, probably the top end of thirties, early forties. And then the likes of Andre Gray, probably seventy-five. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if he did. Was there talk of him not having a relegation clause, or is that incorrect? Oh, I don't know. 
I'm not sure if many of the players had a relegation clause, to be honest. I, I felt like the ones that didn't, I felt like most, I felt like a lot of them that we signed did, but I feel like the ones that didn't were Troy Deeney, Etienne Capu, who had their contracts extended, which is an issue. Um, obviously, if you sign a player when you're in the Premier League and that kind of lower tier Premier League team, it's a bit more expected. Once it comes to extending a player's contract, then it's a little harder to work in. So I'm pretty sure Etienne Capu didn't uh, Troy Deeney doesn't and I think Andre Gray was mentioned as one that also didn't but I might be wrong on that do, do you have any insight on that Tom yeah I must admit I can't I can't recall but that does I certainly Andre Gray has been mentioned as big or sort of touted as he in various outlets as, as still being our highest earner on a and I always think these these figures you know people kind of always report figures on contracts as you know x thousand a week fine it breaks down as that but obviously there's a lot of clauses with a lot of these players and bonuses built in and you know the maximum what they can earn per week is that figure that you see in the newspaper on on a website or whatever um but the one sort of touted for him is i think anything up to sort of 80 or 90 grand a week isn't it which would make him one of if not the highest um as i say but i but i think as i say that is Probably A, not completely accurate, and B, you know, if he plays, if he scores, if the team wins, etc., etc., and kind of hits every um, every clause in it. I certainly hope so, anyway. Yeah, I think Will Hughes is definitely the one you're kind of looking at as that that main concern, isn't he, kind of coming into the summertime. I think that's going to be, obviously, Ismail Asara is going to be a question over the, over the entire summer. I think, obviously, that depends on, on what our league situation is. If we are looking to keep him, it's only really going to be if we get promoted. Um, but Will Hughes is, is definitely, for me, is going to be the one, the real point of interest over that summer in terms of keeping what we have. Um, I think it would be a real, real blow to lose Will Hughes. Obviously, he's been great for us and we really hope that he'd be kind of central to any, everything we do going forward really has been that he's been that good and I think we all feel pretty good and we'll use it as a whole so it'd be a massive shame to lose him so I think that's going to be the main focus but as, as we've talked about there there's quite a number of, of situations to deal with also Ben Foster's is, is currently expiring in 2022 as well but I think that's obviously not one you're really going to be too concerned about having to fight off interest from other clubs to keep um, perhaps there'll be some interest in Premier League teams but it's not going to be a big fee that's kind of just depends on how we feel that's not going to be one that's kind of forced forced onto us but Will Hughes if it comes to the end of the season you've got a year left in the contract you kind of feel resigned that you're going to have to sell him should we miss out on, on playoffs or automatic promotion if, you, if you're in a difficult situation if you feel there's, a, there's an offer coming that is reasonable then what do you do do you, do you kind of gamble and, and try and take that risk of having him for an extra year keeping him and, and hoping you get promoted and then you might be able to convince him to resign but you run the risk of him walking away on a free at the end of the season in 2022 um so there's there's lots of lots of uh, aspects to consider with will hughes but um for me that's the yeah that's the main one okay good stuff we've had a little chat about contracts uh watford now have a week actually to uh, to wait until they have to travel to the welsh capital and they'll probably be thankful about to be honest because they've played a lot of games um you know sort of with not much time to really recuperate, just a couple of days before they've gone straight into the next one. Um, I think the week is uh, it's quite useful to have, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, definitely. It's 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 obviously been breathless, hasn't it, this season with with the 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 fixture list being what it is, and coming back to the championship, we've got more games, and the you know the the general demands placed on the squad and and the injuries, obviously. So to have that um, to have that little. Little break now until next weekend is nice. We've got the was it four games in in sort of just over two weeks, and, and it's a nice little run, I think, isn't it? Apart from that, obviously that Cardiff game on uh, next Saturday, who obviously you know they're in, they're in great nick under Nick Mick McCarthy. We'll come on and talk about them flying, but then you've got Rotherham, Birmingham, and Sheffield Wednesday, who are all scrapping per points for very different reasons. So I think once we come through that then we're into a particularly hard kind of running haven't we? we've got Luton I know and Middlesbrough and then obviously the, the big two in the final couple of weeks of the season so you know it's it's a big kind of fortnight ahead now yeah when Mick McCarthy came in people didn't expect him to uh, to have such a good um, impact to this uh, to this Cardiff team they were you know they're really challenging for the playoffs now I think it's quite reactive they extended him so early they gave him a new two and a half year yeah. contract didn't they just just like just this week which I mean I've got a lot of Ipswich fan friends and you know that's a that's a dangerous game to play with Mick McCarthy I, you, I've, seen, I've been quite close to a situation where it, it goes badly um, under Mick McCarthy and it, it got quite ugly at Ipswich um, 
yeah, he's got them playing. He's got them playing well. He's he's always had the similar brand of football. It's relatively pragmatic, and you kind of know what you're going to get with Mick McCarthy and Cardiff. They, the, where they are right now, the, the squad they have, it suits it suits that. Um, they've looked definitely more more efficient in in their play, and they've definitely turned that corner. So it's going to be a really tough challenge for us. I think it's going to be a it's going to be quite a different task to what we faced before. I think. In terms of the teams towards the top end of the table that we've faced so far, they've been much different in how they operate. But Cardiff are a little bit more direct, and obviously we saw what they can what they can do in the in the home fixture when they they beat us. And mm. it's not an easy game, especially now when they're kind of playing at a, a, a better level. Um, so we have to be quite smart. I think it's going to be, as I said, a different different performance for us. I think we're going to have to try and play the game a little bit more of an aggressive manner to kind of compete with that that physicality and, and that, that power that Cardiff have to offer. It's going to be a big game for the defence and the centre-backs. going to have to be in good condition. I think Syriata is going to be a, a key for that one for us. Um, and we're going to need that that technical help in midfield with the likes of Zinkenagel. Do you restore Pedro to the, to the starting lineup up up front uh, if if we've got the midfield cover, or do we we carry on as, as we as we played yesterday? I think you've got to, haven't you? I mean, you know, I know I was the more positive out of the two of us about Andre Gray's performance against Forest, but João Pedro is a better number nine for me at the moment for this team and the way we're trying to play than than Andre Gray. He's done, you know, he's done nothing to deserve to be sort of shunted out to a kind of a graveyard. Slot. Um, so yeah, I would, I would, I would absolutely. Chalabar coming back is great, and I think you know that get, him coming back in probably gives a little bit more of a solid base with Hughes uh, alongside him to to allow Zinkanego, assuming he starts again, to to do what he does best. So yeah, I, I see no reason why Jao Pedro wouldn't start uh, uh, through the middle. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we need to find that balance for this game because we're we're playing a, a top end team right now, and we have to we have to find that. I think as as we touched on earlier against Nottingham Forest, we maybe had a little bit more room, a little bit more leeway to kind of mix things around. But I think coming back into this one, you, you'd expect to give us the best chance of winning. You'd want to see uh, Chalaba come back in and and kind of give that little bit more support alongside Hughes and able to kind of come back in and play that more advanced pressing role as well when needs. I think that'll be important too. We we have to try and look to to stop Cardiff in, in some important areas and Chalabin can be key to that. And then you've got that that technical ability of, of uh, Philip Zinkenagel. And then having that centre forward or that striker in Joe Pedro who maybe offers you a little bit more in possession, I think we're going to need to have that too. I don't think we can rely on someone as, as much like Gray that's going to just be there to kind of take them chances. I think we have to be a little bit more patient and build up and, and find ways to break Cardiff down without being so direct. It's also nice to know that we've got Sanchez there as, as cover as well after he you know, had, a, had a decent sort of like second half that when he when he came in and, and sort of like we said already he sort of did the job that we expected him to do so it's good I expect him to be again on the bench somebody else who uh, who got a few minutes and uh, was very impressive was Joseph Hungbo and I wonder if he'll get a few more minutes against Cardiff because uh, you know people have been raving about him since in the in the few minutes that we've seen him and um, it, it feels like he's one that you know maybe is more deserving of, of some more time he's just fearless isn't he that's what I like about him and you know it's quite often the case with these kids that come through they are sort of you know told to just go and play their game and and you know that kind of youthful exuberance shone through again yesterday didn't it as it, as it did against man united and you know he beat his uh he beat the the right back um quite comfortably on one occasion didn't he skip down the line and put a really nice ball into a great area and it just needed someone to to you know have a bit of a gamble and, and get on it and there you know there are a couple of other occasions where he certainly wasn't afraid to try and play his game and run at people so yeah it, but it's been nice. And do you know what? This season, that has been one of the nice things to come of this season. You know, at the start of the year, we saw a little bit more of um, of Dan Phillips, didn't we? And and a couple mm-hmm. of other, Derek Agakwa and, and Toby Stevenson were involved in the early rounds of the Carabao Cup. And we've obviously now seen seen Joe Hungbo. It's been, there's been something nice about getting back to our roots a little bit. And, you know, I'm sure these guys are unlikely to go on and play hundreds of games for Watford under the Potsos. But just having a little... A little taster of what we, you know, have historically been about is quite, um, quite enjoyable. Do you reckon there's an outside chance he starts against Cardiff? Well, I mean, I think he certainly yeah. proved that he's got the ability. So I was just thinking. I mean, it's maybe, maybe not quite as vital with with, with us having no midweek game. But I, I do think Ken Semler's last three games, he's not 
not been able to get that have that impact he's had on previous games. I think yeah. there is a level of fatigue there. Um, obviously, our natural kind of backup to that that position might have been Philip Zinkenegel, who's now obviously going to be operating in that central. We we feel most likely will be operating in that central role against Cardiff in midfield. You possibly have a likes of success who just come back from injury and obviously came on and, and got a few minutes. Um, but it wouldn't. It wouldn't be the craziest thing if, if Hongbo actually did start. Is he a left-sided player, Jordan? I mean, it feels like he can play either, really. I'd say probably naturally more right, but he could play on the left. I mean, he's quite direct and he likes running at his man. So I think you could be relatively comfortable in putting him in that position. Um, and I, I'd say I'd feel a little bit better in terms of natural fit about him playing there than, than success in some ways. Um, I quite like the idea of success playing essentially also, but it's going to be an interesting one to see. I just kind of have a have a slight feeling there might be a chance we get to see a little bit more of him on, on Saturday. Mm. And you mentioned success there as well. Of course, he got a couple of minutes as well and it was nice for him because he's he's been on a real torrid time with that Achilles injury, but um, he's back um, and you know maybe not too completely match fitness but he was able to participate a little bit and uh, you know I think even the commentators mentioned that he could be you know a real massive one for Watford this season if if we can get firing and firing quickly uh, you know and showing he can do it in training and and given the chance um, you know I mean it's not a bad player to have really is it if we've got a success at the peak of his powers as opposed to one that we've seen in the Premier League for the majority of of his time uh, you know he could be a real player. Keith Andrews was effusive in his praise, wasn't he? He said, I think he could torment the championship, which is quite yeah. strong. I, you know, I don't think he's done anything except, uh, uh, well, I won't say it, what he has tormented <laughs> in the last few years. But um, yeah, it's it's quite a leap. And I think the problem with him is, you know, the guys up front have done so well. Um, you know, unless they're fatigued or unavailable for selection, it's very hard to imagine him getting that run of games, isn't it, to find that sort of, <laughs> consistency of performance and position as well because as Jordan said you know I think we've seen a lot of him kind of wide but we've seen him through the middle as well and and uh, do you know what I was looking into him a while ago not ahead of today but surprised me how much he actually played under Javi Garcia in 1819 um so mm. you know if someone like Javi got something evidently I can't remember how he played I must admit so he might have been crap but if you know if Javi gave him a chance and evidently saw something in him then there's something there it's just you know, he doesn't seem to get the. So he, yeah, he was very good. I mean, if you go back and look at, I think um, Wolves away. Uh, I know it wasn't a great result, but he played well. Him and Gerard Delafeu up top. Um, also Newcastle in the FA Cup, I believe he scored in that game away from home. Um, and also another one that comes to mind was the the game against Tottenham at, at the Milton K- at NK Don Stadium um, in the Carabao Cup. He played a central role and he scored. And I think all those games, I think he looked like he kind of, there's, and there's a few more. I just can't recall the, the exact ones off the top of my head, but he looked like to me, he turned a corner in, in his in his play. He looked better on the ball. His possession was quite good. He was, he was playing the ball quite nicely. He looked strong holding it up and he was playing that more central role. He had a strike partner. We were playing two up front of the Gracia, but he just looked like he was kind of kicking on a little bit, which you'd always hope for. And then obviously since then, he's had that kind of stuttering performances and injury. And, and now it's a t- chance for him to come back. But he's still, you know, he's still of an age where he can he can improve some and he can contribute. And I think there's an opportunity there for him because we have got we have got room to, to manoeuvre in, in that forward line. And even if he was playing a role from the left or the right, he can also play that central role too. And I think... He's, a, he's an asset we should look at and see how we can use him and if he can help the team win then he should definitely be involved when does his contract expire Jordan? I think he signed a new five year deal a couple of years ago I believe I'll check that out for you real quick though um, I know that it's 2023 as I say in the midst of that run after the MK Dons game which I was at and he was excellent he signed a new deal not very long after that didn't he I'd forgotten that MK Dons Spurs game at MK Dons where he was excellent that's actually a good Ben Wilmot performance too. He came off the bench. Yeah, it was. Oh, yeah. did he start? I can't recall. Pretty sure good he did, game, didn't he? Because he played in the early rounds of that. Was that when he was playing centre mid though? It was. I remember there was like three games in a row where he cleared the ball off a line. I think that was one of them. Yeah, he's predominantly been played on the left-hand side, hasn't he, um, success during his time here at Watford. But um, have you, 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 you like him better in the central role? 
I think I do. I think um, I was impressed. As I said on the, on the grassy, I was impressed with how he was playing with his back to goal. Um, I'm, I might have missed something I go and look at um, and try and isolate a little bit in the future. Actually, just before as he's coming back from injury, I might try and go back and look at some of the games and and talk about success a little bit. But I think he has he has the ability to play that central role and he he can be good from the left. Don't get me wrong. There was times I think when he first joined, especially where he would kind of always looked like he had the absolute beating of, of the right back he was up against. Um, he would quite comfortably get past. It was just what happened after that and they was a lot more inconsistent. But I think we haven't quite seen that one-on-one isolating dribbling from success as much when he has played in recent in recent years. But I, I do think he can he can contribute in the central area. He's strong, he's physical, he can take the ball down. He's technically, he can, he, he can be quite good. And I think he's better than what he gets credit for. I think a lot of his issues have come down to decision-making and quite frankly, just being on the pitch. He's not been on the, enough to, to really have the full assessment of him because he's not been able to put the consistent run of games together. Um, I think, his, as, as we said, his best chance of that was as close as he came was on the grass here. And I think from what I saw then, I felt pretty comfortable that he could he could do something for us. And it's just been very unfortunate since then. Okay, good stuff. Um, Norwich won again, frustratingly. Uh, and Swansea somehow managed to get the win they keep doing this, don't they, Tom? Yes, it's very annoying, particularly as we were asked on the last pod about whether they can, you know, form can be sustainable given their performances haven't been brilliant. But as we said at the time, their kind of underlying numbers are still fairly good over the last month and, and suggest that they are they are capable. And uh, do you know what? the thing with Swansea, I think, as well as they've got they've got good players who can just make things happen. You know, obviously. Jamalo did very well against us, scored. Are you very experienced? You know, might not be a 20-goal-a-season man, but experienced campaigner. Corona Harahan in midfield is, you know, fantastic midfield. They just they just have good players, so they're, they're going to push us all the way. I'm convinced of it now. It's going to be a, you know, a real battle to the final day, and we might get that awful final day shootout like we had with uh, with Leeds and, and, and the whole city a few years ago. Reading won 3-0 as well, so they're closing in. I mean... Everyone knows, I think Norwich have pretty much cemented at least that second place. I don't, I don't see them not making automatic promotion, either from the first or second spot. So, you, you know, you got Watford obviously up there, sixty-six points from thirty-five games. Swansea, sixty-five points from thirty-three games. So those two games in hand, very important for Swansea, and the fact that they're winning at the minute is frustrating all Watford fans I'm sure Brentford they didn't play because uh, their game was called off because of Covid so they've got a game in hand now on Watford as well but they've got 63 points so that win would just get them up to Watford of course they've got a better goal difference and then Reading um, they're on 60 points now 35 games so you know and if you look at them they've got this, you know the same wins as, as, as Brentford and it's just the fact that they haven't managed to get as many draws as everyone else seems to have around them so it's going to be a really exciting one to see who ends up getting that second spot at the end. And games are starting to run out now. Just 10 games left for for some. Uh, or is it 11? 11 games left, I think. Yeah, 11 games left. Uh, my maths is terrible. So um, it's, uh, it's, oh man, it's coming. It's got to go down to the wire. It's a war of attrition now, isn't it? We've got to kind of keep your head and try and just keep keep getting these results and, and being consistent. I think I feel that, that Brentford have a bit of an edge in that and they've had that experience of doing so and they came so close last season. I kind of feel like even though Swansea have had that that consistent kind of get out of jail card in A in the last couple of the games and they've got that in games in hand, I still feel like Brentford are kind of the ones that are, are really pushing us as well. And I think we have to try and keep an eye on both and, and do what we can. But as you say, it could very well come down to those last couple of games and that's going to be possibly where, where things are decided. Okay, good stuff. Uh, my thanks to Jordan and to Tom for joining me this afternoon. You can find those guys on Twitter at Jordan Wyman and at TB Burdell. Please follow us as well at Watford Pod. And also, if you've liked the show, if you enjoy what we do, leave us a review and leave it on iTunes for us, please. Um, all we have to do is just log in there, uh, scroll down to the bottom, stick a review in, tell us um, how well we're, we're doing or how poorly we're doing. Uh, it's always good uh, to, to, to try and improve. And congratulations for not saying Joe Garner. <laughs> and congratulations <laughs> for not saying Joe Garner. Um, we'll be back again to chat after the Cardiff game. So until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend. From Tom, from Jordan and from myself, it's goodbye. Goodbye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A malibu.com, code GLOW. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.